So we're going to be moving into 1 Kings. Now, uh, as we get ready to, to start uh, the next book uh, on Sunday nights, uh, there's a reason why we're going into 1 Kings. I actually have been praying about going to Daniel and wanting to do Daniel, and I decided that we'd never really finish with David's passing or some of the history leading up to Daniel. So we're going to do First and Second Kings, which will take us right to the book of Daniel, and it'll set the context and really give you a good understanding of Old Testament history and what's going on. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the Word tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for all the fathers in our church and grandfathers, and Lord, for those who are acting as fathers, spiritual fathers, we, we give you all thanks and praise for, for putting them in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless them today as we honor them and recognize their, their sacrifice for their families and their ministry to, to their children and grandchildren and those who they've uh, adopted in the Lord. So bless them, Lord. And now as we enter into your word, we pray that you would teach us, help us to understand your word. And Lord, help us to apply it, that we might be transformed. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Kings, uh, Whitman writes this uh, about First, first and Second Kings. He says, the, uh, sorry, Weissman writes this. He says, the narrative covers almost 500 years from the initiation to the eclipse of the kingship. It is the story of the rise and fall of kingdoms, of high promise and abject failure, of tragedy and yet of hope. So First and Second Kings, uh, we don't know who really wrote First and Second Kings. It's kind of a Jewish tradition that it was Jeremiah, but we don't know for sure that it was him. It could have been him. Uh, so First, Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles were both each uh, one book. They've been split into two in our Bibles. And uh, they both have, uh, first, first and Second Chronicles often will give us uh, a little bit different information or more information uh, of what's going on in First and Second Kings. These are books of history, and as we go through these books of history, we're going to intersect with different people and prophets throughout the Old Testament. So we'll, we'll come into different kings ruling at different times. And we'll, we'll draw in who was prophesying when and what they were prophesying about. Uh, so that, that way you can start to place the major prophets and the minor prophets within these two books of the Kings. Um, so we've got 500 years here to cover over the next, I don't know how many months we're going to be in First and Second Kings. Uh, but I'm glad that we're not taking 500 years to do it. So that's, that's a good thing. Uh, so we're going to move on through here. All right, First Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, let a young woman, a virgin, be sought out uh, for our Lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the King may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shumanite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. So uh, David here, this is kind of a, a sad sight to see as David is close, he's coming to the end of his life 
and we're seeing that he's actually become quite elderly uh, as the text here in the New King James says advanced in years. The King James puts it stricken in, in years, uh, just kind of like there's a point at which uh, living into old age is almost living uh, too long. You know, your, your strength is fleeting, you're, you're starting to fleet, and, and uh, so the, the, the way the Bible puts it, they're old and advanced in years, and now David can't stay warm. This mighty warrior, this, this interesting outlaw, this fugitive, this king uh, has really, we're starting to see the sun set on his life. And uh, so this, these first two chapters of First Kings will be the end of David's life and we'll say goodbye to him and we will uh, begin to see Solomon take over the throne. So the servants of... Um, of David said, listen, what we need to do is bring in a young woman, a, a virgin, a beautiful woman, a nurse to take care of him. Now, this isn't some weird thing. Uh, it was actually kind of a normal practice that someone needs to keep him warm and get the body heat going. And, and so for the king, we'll search out. And it was kind of, in a way, medicine, if you will, <laughs> being practiced. I know for us, it's such a strange idea that uh, they go search out this beautiful woman in the land, a virgin. Uh, she probably came in as one of his concubines, which we'll see in a moment, uh, because she's going to show up in just a, in chapter 2, and we're going to see uh, uh, she ends up being the end of Adonijah. But uh, David, she's instructed to keep the king warm, take care of him, and, uh, and be with her. But notice in verse, uh, the very last verse here of this first opening paragraph says the king did not know her, so he, he did not lay with her. Verse 5, then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. Um, and Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is in uh, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. Let me pause there for a moment. Adonijah uh, sees his dad's failing health and decides, well, time for me to step up and become king. And so Adonijah at this point in time is the oldest or eldest brother as far as we know, 2 Samuel 3, 2 through 5 actually lists the children of David uh, minus Solomon, because Solomon hadn't been born yet. And in that list, we have uh, labeled uh, the firstborn was Amnon. Of course, Amnon is killed by uh, Absalom. Uh, but after Amnon is Chiliab, and Chiliab, we never hear anything about at all. He just kind of disappears. So very possible he could have died in his childhood or some at some point. Um, then we have uh, Absalom, and uh, then we have Adonijah, that's the fourth son, uh, Haggith, uh, Shep Shepatiah, and uh, the sixth, uh, Ithream, 
And then, of course, Solomon is the seventh son of David. Well, Adonijah, uh, his two older brothers are gone. Chiliab has never been seen through in the scriptures. So, so Adonijah sees himself oldest son. I should probably make myself king today. And that's his, uh, what he decides to do. Notice what he does. It says, Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots, horsemen, 50 men to run before him. Basically, what he's doing is he's preparing an army and a personal bodyguard by gathering chariots and people to run before him. In fact, if you remember, uh, <laughs> Absalom made this very same mistake in 2 Samuel 15, 1, uh, when Absalom was getting ready to take over the kingdom or, or start this coup against his dad, Second uh, Samuel 15, 1 said that he provided for himself chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. It's almost identical what uh, Adonijah is doing. There's a problem, though, with Adonijah. So he's got, he's got the means. He's got the wealth. He's even got followers. He's got the, the military. But he's missing something that is the most important, and that's that the Lord would lift up Adonijah. That the Lord would bless Adonijah as the king. He's completely missing that. Turn with me over to Psalm chapter 75. Psalm chapter 75. Psalm chapter 75 and verse 5. This is what a Psalm of Asaph says. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck, or that's like with pride. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. That's an important uh, passage and truth that Asaph gives to us in this psalm that uh, exaltation doesn't come east or west. You're not going to find it from men because men don't have the authority to do it. Only God has the authority to do that, to lift up. And we know that men all the time lift themselves up and armies lift them up too. But it's interesting because when we see the life of David, he lasted to his 70th year, approximately 70 years, that he's going to die of old age. And this is the young man who stood against a giant. It's the young man who fought all these battles. It's the, the, this, this warrior king who lifted this old age, and all the way through we see that he survived coups, he survived the discipline of the Lord, and it was because God had lifted him up, not because man had prepared him or lifted him up. So Adonijah is missing the most essential aspect in all these things. The New Testament tells us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, that we might be lifted up in due time. How, how essential and important that is that when we seek God, that we bow before the Lord God, that we humble ourselves before him and say, teach us, Lord. I need to know. I Give us wisdom. Uh, you know, give me direction, Lord, versus just doing it of my own sight and looking to the east or the west or building up my own army around me or whatever, uh, you want, however you want to uh, draw that illustration for you. So, so Adonijah just exalts himself. He's He's uh, lifting himself up. Now notice verse 6. Verse 6 here said, And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. 
so do you remember Absalom? Absalom, we kind of joked about being the Fabio of, of the Jews. He was with this giant head of hair, and he was good-looking. Well, Adonijah's another good-looking man, and uh, again, looks good to Israel. But notice that his father had not rebuked him. Now, God had already told David that Solomon would be king. That, that was already laid out in 1 Chronicles. In fact, turn with me over to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles, you just go uh, right after 1 Kings. 1 Chronicles 22. And 1, uh, 1 Chronicles 22 verses 5 through 9. And you can connect it to this passage in your Bible that we're reading tonight. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all the countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. So they're talking about building the temple of God and how David amassed all the things needed to build this temple for God. But Solomon wasn't ready yet. So verse 6, then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, I was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Verse 9, behold, a son shall be born to you. You shall be a man of rest and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of the kingdom over Israel forever. So there in First Chronicles, uh, David is told uh, that, that he can't build the, the temple. Of course, we read about that in Second Samuel where uh, David was told, no, you're not going to build the temple, but... David, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to establish your throne forever. And there was a wonderful chapter about just God's blessing when David had began to rest from all of his enemies. But uh, there God tells him that he's going to have a son. His name will be Solomon and he will be the heir to the throne and he will be the one to build the temple and God will establish his house under the, the covenant of, that God made with David. So it's a shame that David never rebuked Adonijah for this. That, that David never took the opportunity, even after the rebellion of Absalom and the coup that happened, that he never took the opportunity to draw his sons together and say, hey, listen, this is what the Lord has spoken. This is God's plan, and we're going to follow God's plan because we're God's people. David was just so absent when it came to this area of his children and we see his children often reacting uh, just uh, in such a, a way that they're impassioned by certain things and they just go all in and they have no restraint on things. And, and it's really a shame that David just was so indulgent with his children. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. This is a great Father's Day verse for you guys. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen it says, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Uh, it's important that we correct, that we discipline our children. If we're absent from discipline and correction, that, that you're not going to receive rest 
And you're not going to have delight in your soul because your children are going to cause problems. In fact, actually, uh, studies show that developmentally, children develop convictions, those core convictions about right and wrong, being obedient to others, respecting others, before age five. Age five is like that key turning point when if they haven't started to develop some of those core convictions, you're going to have problems. Now, certainly by age 11 or as puberty starts, if your kids don't have conviction, it's almost getting too late uh, to, to really start developing conviction in them. And so as, as the Bible teaches us to correct our son, now correct doesn't mean to abuse, take advantage of, uh, destroy, demoralize. Uh, it doesn't mean to cause your children to hate you. What it means is to train your children, to correct them, to show them the way in which they should go, and, and call them to, uh, to the expectation, bring them up to that expectation of what it means to walk in a godly life. And, uh, and so as a result of that, it, 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 we, we see that it will have delight to your soul. Like when your kids grow older, they're going to have these convictions and you're not going to have to do so much. Parents, let me tell you something that, that I learned and I think, and okay, I'm still in the experiment stage. I've got three kids at different ages. So uh, you can, t- I'm, I'll, I'll tell you later on if this works, but a pastor uh, had told me, and I thought this was such wise words, and of course, my kids were, Elise was still young and my kids were still young at the time that I was told this, but he, he told me there's three areas of parenting, three stages of parenting that you need to go through. There's cop, coach, counselor. Cop is those early years where uh, you say you, you, you be a cop. You don't do this, do do this. Uh, if you do this, you're going to get this, this uh, result or, or this uh, discipline, and, and you're, you're cop with them. And that stage is developing conviction. That, that stage is helping them understand that, no, you're going to respect your mom. You're going to do this. And, you know, one of the things with my kids is uh, they have learned that the one thing you don't do is disrespect mom in the household. Uh, I have a way of just shooting a look at my kids, and they go, okay, I'm sorry. You know, they understand that whole idea. That was cop stage. And if you do cop right, you transition to coach as they enter into puberty and the teenage years. And coach is not cop. Coach is recognizing that, hey, these children now have their own will. They're, they're three-year-olds with a purpose, right? They've, they now can make decisions on their own and cause problems. And, you know, three-year-olds, at least you can pick up and move this way as they're kicking, you know. I'll never forget Claire... We were eating at Olive Garden and she, when she was three. There, there's this season where you just quit going out to dinner with your kids. And you probably, yeah, you know that. I was thinking about Katie with all of her kids. Anyway, uh, you, you just cease going out to dinner. Well, well, we hit that stage with Claire. We were at Olive Garden. And she just, for whatever reason, decided she was done with this. She took a fork full of spaghetti sauce, threw it into the, the booth behind us. And all over the person, we were just so embarrassed. And it was like, I want to kill you, but I can't do it publicly. Uh, we've got, I mean, we were, my wife and I were so embarrassed. We were telling people we were so sorry. Can we clean it? And they, they were really gracious with us. But we were like, pack it up. We're out of here. <laughs> you know, 
so when you go from cop to coach, you've moved into three-year-olds that throw different kind of temper tantrums and can cause different kind of problems. Those are the teen years. And, but you have to coach them. You have to be like a coach. It doesn't mean that coaches don't get punishments. I mean, some of my best training sessions on athletic teams were the times when we were being punished by our coach. I, I remember one time we won the game, but because we let the team score too many goals, we got punished. Uh, even though we won, it was just our coach was a masochist. So, so the uh, you move into the coach years and you coach your kids through the teen life. You help set the foundations, the why you don't want to do this. Here's what people are thinking. This is why we approach it this way. You're going to have to make a decision. This is where you're really training them about integrity. That that when they go off to school, they're the same person they are at home. That they're not. Oh, mom and dad aren't here. I can be whoever I want. This is where you're, you're coaching them. And then finally, if you do coach well, you'll get to become counselor. And what a privileged counselor is. And so for some of you parents that have had your kids move into the college years and, and beyond, uh, you know that you've done it well and you know that you've moved into counselor because your kids call you and talk to you about stuff. They, they, they bring issues to you. They talk to you about those hard issues because they know that you're not going to come down with the don't, I can't believe you would, uh, or those things, but you're going to challenge them in the way that's godly. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you, don't be like David. And of course, grandparents, coach, coach you can still counsel your, your uh, sons and daughters as they... they uh, teach and, and raise up their kids, but I think this is information that's often missing in parenting, that idea of cop, coach, counselor, and, uh, and we, we definitely want to make sure we correct our children so that they will know the way they should go. All right, so David didn't rebuke his kids, um, and Joab, Zeruiah, Abiathar, the priest, that's the, the high priest. They all follow, Joe, uh, follow with Adonijah. Now, Joab is fiercely loyal to David, but he also is very predictable in being disobedient to David's wishes. He's a, he's a very tough guy to figure out because every time David says, this one should live, Joab goes secretly and murders that person, right? And so, uh, so Joab is the leader of uh, David, Israel's army, David's army, and we're going to see it issue with that. Okay, I'm going to look at the time. Verse 9, and Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zoleth, which is by Enrogel. Of course, we read this. So he's having this big uh, sacrifice of all these meats, really setting himself up as the king. And then everybody's feasting. Verse 11, so Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king and David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to the king David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall reign after me and shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you're still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag, the Shunammite, was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? Then she said to him, my lord, you swore by the lord. And she goes on to repeat back to, to uh, David what Adonijah is doing. Skip down to verse 22. 
And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army. And Abiathar the priest, and look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? So, so I think what Nathan was getting at here as a prophet was Bathsheba, you go first, then I'm going to come right behind you, and we're going to emphasize this point to David. So he understands how critical the situation is. Sad that it shouldn't have even had to get to that, but David is definitely uh, sunsetting on his life. He's old and just kind of checked out a little bit. So the king answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence, stood before the king, and the king took an oath and said, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. I love that. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, Just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. By the way, the reason why I love that that verse as David speaks about the Lord is you see the relationship he has with the Lord. He's not just as the Lord lives, but as the Lord who has delivered me out of every distress. I know this God. This is who he is. He's faithful God, and I will do this. Uh, I'm not going to let Adonijah take the throne. So Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth, paid homage to the king, and said, Let my Lord King David live forever. So the King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule. Take him down to Gihom. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne. And he shall be king in my place for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. So David decides that he's going to abdicate the throne, pass it on to his son Solomon. Now he comes up with a plan. There's uh, five points to this plan. Ride on my own mule. Now, mules, it's actually forbidden in the law of God to crossbreed animals. So mules were expensive. They were imported. And uh, so it's a big deal that uh, King David had Solomon take his mule. You weren't, uh, no servant was allowed to ride the king or a prince's uh, mule. Then you're going to also let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him. So we're going to have an actual godly uh, anointing. Then you're going to blow the horn. I want all Israel to know. And you're going to do this at the spring of Gihon because that is the area where the water, people are going out to gather water from the, just outside the city. Uh, so it's a major, major gathering place of the populace. So you're going to do it there. And you're going to say, long live King Solomon. That's important that you're going to state what his title is. And he shall come and sit on my throne directly after this anointing. So that's his plan. And uh, notice what verse 36, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, 
Amen. Let it be. Even so. That's what uh, amen means. I'm in agreement. Uh, let it be. That's what the word means. So when you say amen or amen, uh, you're saying I'm in agreement. It has nothing to do with gender, by the way. Uh, no matter what our lawmakers in Washington, D.C. think, it's not amen and a woman. No, forget that stuff. Uh, the word just means that I'm in agreement with this. Uh, and, and so as he says amen, notice what he says next. May the Lord God of the Lord my king say so too as well. As the Lord has been with my Lord the king, even so may, uh, may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, knows that, okay, if the Lord's in this, then this will be fine. It'll be great. But we're going to make sure, we're going to ask that the Lord would be in this, not like Adonijah, who's just deciding what to do. So Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mill, Took him to Gihon. And by the way, that's uh, the Cherethites and the Pelethites as part of the mighty men there uh, and the king's, um, king's guard. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle, anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn. And all the people said, long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him. And the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. They made a great noise. Uh, and what a difference between Adonijah's impromptu party and uh, this actual event of the king supporting the anointing of uh, the abdication of his throne and the anointing of King Solomon. Verse 41, now Adonijah and all the guests who were there with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good news. <laughs> bring good news. Well, verse 43, then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, no, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelothites, and they have made him ride on the king's mill. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, uh, and they have gone up from them there rejoicing so that the king, the whole city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom, and moreover the king's servants have gone to bless our lord King David, saying, may God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. So basically David had already just said, okay, the people of Judah are now making the decision too. Not only is God anointing, but now all the people are doing this. So the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and rose and each one went his way. Basically everybody bolted. <laughs> like, I don't want to be part of some coup. We saw that all happen before. We're out of here. So Adonijah just gets abandoned by everybody. So now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. So he rose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. 
What's, what's going on here? Well, taking hold of the horns of the altar is actually not so much an Israeli practice as more the nations around, but um, basically it's like the altar's holy, so if I'm holding on to the horns, you're not going to slay my blood on the horns. You're not going to kill me, so basically I'm just going to hold on to this thing until we make some sort of peace treaty. Now, Exodus actually gives a, pro, a provision for, to, to rip somebody away from the horns of the altar and put them to death if they've uh, murdered somebody or um, uh, plotted to kill somebody in, in blood. God gives that provision in Exodus 21, 14. Um, so Adonijah's holding on to the horns of the altar. And <laughs> it was told Solomon, saying, indeed, is afraid of King Solomon for he, uh, look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. So I'm not letting go of this until you tell me I'm, I'm going to live. So Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. Um, so Solomon is taken. Now we're going to try to get these final instructions of David and we'll, we'll end there tonight. So chapter two, verse one. Now the days of David, uh, drew, drew near, um, to that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son saying, I go the way of all the earth. Now you can find more of this charge in first, uh, first Chronicles 28 and 29, if you want to read more detail of this charge, but, but he says, I go the way of the earth. The fact is, is this is the way things happen. Uh, you know, we paraphrase it with there's only two things sure in life, death and taxes. Those, those are the only sure things. Well, David's saying this is the way it goes. Uh, if, if we live on this earth, we also are going to pass. Uh, there's one exception to that, and that would be the Lord coming and calling us home. And, of course, that would be a wonderful ride. Uh, but uh, it, as far as the rapture of the church goes, and sure, certainly that'd be wonderful to experience that and see that, but uh, death is a normal way that we go. Uh, everybody wants to avoid the subject. Everybody wants to stay away from it. Nobody likes death. The death is bitter. It's, it, it's, uh, it's painful. Death is one of those things that as we stare at it and we understand our own mortality, it brings fear uh, of unknown, but you know, for those who walk in the Lord, we shouldn't have any fear of death. They're, the sting of death is has gone. The, the death has been swallowed up in victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we don't grieve as those who have no hope. No, we recognize that God has given us hope, and death is one of those normal things that happens. And uh, so that brings great comfort. It doesn't mean we don't miss people, grieve people, remember them. But certainly there's great comfort in knowing that, that uh, they have a hope beyond just, uh, just uh, <laughs> dying. You know, that uh, doesn't give us most, much hope. So uh, verse 3, uh, so Paul, he says, I go the way of the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. I like this verse. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Now, when we think about what it means to prove yourself a man, Solomon was no warrior. And that's not what David's telling him to come be, a warrior. Uh, in our culture, we, we always mix up what it means to be a man. And we have this idea of manliness. Uh, it, it constantly is being changed by the culture and shaped by the culture. And let me just tell you this. I don't think the culture ever gets manliness right. 
I think that uh, at one point in time, the culture will say, well, men need to be more in touch with their emotions and more feminine acting. Well, that doesn't help either. Uh, men need to not have this toxic masculinity, whatever they describe at the time as toxic masculinity. Good luck keeping up with that. Or men need to just be warriors and just fighting all the time and brawling and, and be strong. Well, that, that also doesn't work either because really when you look at King David... He was a shepherd, a soldier, an outlaw, a king, a fugitive, a sinner, a saint, a poet. I mean, King David was a whole gamut of people. And now his son Solomon is going to be a totally different kind of man. But he's receiving the same charge to be, be strong, be, prove himself a man. Because the fact is, is, it's a call to leadership. And really, I think that's the first thing lacking in our culture is men being called to leadership, to step up and lead. And by the way, leadership doesn't mean that you fight for your position, that you force things. No, you stand with conviction. You, you, you represent truth. You, you have integrity, meaning the person you are here is the person you are at home. There's no difference. Your, your life is transparent. You're a man of integrity, That these values that you represent given by God are who you are. There's not deceit in you. And and that's really, I think, part of this idea of proving yourself to be a man is that you're, you're growing into this place where you're confident in who God has created you to be and you're ready to lead given the opportunity. That's important. I want to say this too about manhood and manliness There was only one perfect man ever, the man Jesus Christ. He was the perfect man. But for some reason, when we talk about manliness, we don't say, here's our model of manhood. That's really what we should be doing. We should be looking at Jesus for the model of manhood. And one of the things is, when we look at Jesus for the model of manhood, we don't see any form or appearance with Jesus, do we? No, we're not given any. So manhood is definitely more than form, appearance, muscles, no muscles. Uh, You know, manhood is different than that. Also with Jesus, we don't see that Jesus ever took up a sword. In fact, Jesus taught something very different. He said if a man tries to pick a fight with you and slaps you on the one cheek, turn the other cheek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those who are humble in spirit. But yet Jesus at the same time, being the complicated, perfect man that he was, boldly stood for truth and against those who would keep people enslaved to sin, keep people enslaved to the law that didn't represent God. Jesus was, is the ultimate man. And I want to just to encourage you and challenge you, stop looking, men, to other men for the ultimate representation of man. Stop looking to the right or to the left, but start looking to the Lord Jesus and and prove yourself to be a man based on who he is. There's your identity, men. Um, And I know like when we talk about men, and for me it's easier to talk about men because I'm a man. I, I, I have a hard time talking about what the perfect woman should be and because I feel like I'll, I'll just totally miss that because I'll be like, the perfect woman should love steak and that's not, you yeah. know. So, but, but for me, uh, the way I see this is when, when you're charged uh, to prove yourself a man, 
to be strong, it's a lot more than physical strength. It's about character. And Solomon is going to need this desperately because he's going to have to deal with people like Joab, Adonijah. He's going to have to deal with those who would try to run over him. Those who would know that you're no warrior like your father David. And so, so as David charges Solomon, it's an important charge. And I think you all can have that same charge, men in the church. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Um, prove yourself a man. What, what, how do we prove ourselves a man? Uh, it's not by looking under your skirt or your kilt or, sorry, yeah. Proving yourself a man is by your actions. It's who you are, who you stand for, what you represent in this world. It's, it's, it's the fact that, that you have integrity and really walk with Christ. So prove yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord, your God. Look at that. Uh, walk in his ways to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. So there you go. Prove yourself to me, man. What do we do? Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, um, that you may prosper. He, uh, so that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, now this is the word that God spoke to David. If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart, and with all their soul. He said, you shall not lack a man on the throne in Israel. There's the secret to success, men. There it is right there. Walk before the Lord. Don't turn uh, away from the Lord. Heed your way before the Lord and, uh, and, and walk in truth with all your heart and with all your soul. There, there it is. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. With all of your being, your mind, your strength, you love the Lord your God. There is manliness. That is the, 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 the core value of manliness. And, uh, and then we can, we can just rejoice in what it means to be a man, someone who loves the Lord your God. Verse 5, moreover, you know also with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, uh, the son of Zeruiah did to me, and what he did to the two commandments of the armies of Israel, to Abner, to the son of Ner, and Amasa, and the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. So basically, uh, David says, Joab needs to die. He needs to be put to death. Um, this guy has been murdering people. And, well, why didn't David do it? Well, we're not really sure. It, it, David was also a wise man, a wise king, and it just wasn't time. But now, now Solomon can come in and back clean up. And, uh, and so he's going to clean up the house of Israel. Verse 7, but show kindness to the son of Barzil, Li, the Gileadite. That's the, person, the son of the person who helped them and brought all their food to them when they were on the run. Let them be among those who eat at your table, for so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Verse 8. And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite from Baharim, who cursed me with malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do with him. 
bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So basically, if you remember, Shammai was the guy who, as David and all of his wives and part of his army are leaving the city of Jerusalem, Shammai is the one throwing rocks at them and cursing them. And, uh, and one of David's uh, soldiers wanted to put him down. And David's like, no, 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 He's, he, we de- I'm deserving this punishment. Don't do that. Then when they came back into the city, uh, Shammai asked for forgiveness and said, oh, I've done wrong. Now, this is a descendant actually of Saul. And so David's saying, like, this guy's a rebellious guy. He's a troublemaker. Put him down. And, uh, and, <laughs> and these are the, the, the words of David. So David rested with his fathers, was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David. And his kingdom was firmly established. Clark writes this, in general, he lived well, and it is most evident that he died well. And as a king, a general, a poet, a father, and a friend, he had few equals and no superior from his own time to the present day. King David was a complicated and incredible man, and uh, definitely to be marked up with one of the greatest men in all of Israel's history. Uh, and uh, a lot we can learn from his life. Well, that's going to conclude for tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together, and uh, Lord, we just want to honor you in all things, and Lord, for those of us who in here who have been convicted by the charge to prove ourselves faithful, to prove ourselves men, to prove ourselves transparent and have integrity, Lord, we just confess sin to you now. If, if you've been in this place where you've been not walking with the Lord, you've actually been turning to the left or to the right, away from God, you've been rebellious in your heart and your spirit, not humbling yourself before the Lord, you pray right now, Lord, forgive me for that rebellious spirit. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for trying to do it myself, Lord. Forgive me for trying to exalt myself like Adonijah. Now I humble myself before you, Lord. I'm ready to walk after you. We thank you, Lord, for your wonderful love for us, your acceptance. And Lord, we thank you that as you wrote in Revelation, to he who overcomes will receive the right to sit on the throne with you. Lord, you've, you've prepared a throne for us. It's waiting. And Lord, we thank you for that invitation. We look forward to that day. We give you all the praise and the glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, all of you on the worship team. Really appreciate you. Uh, Don't forget to get outside and get some meat roses uh, and enjoy those. Now may the God of peace himself give you peace in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.